What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Do it in private and make sure you don't do it around grandma. When I heard this line as I listened to the interview you're about to hear, I laughed out loud. I thought, that is so Lene. Sexologist Dr. Lene St. John is a colleague of mine. I've considered a friend ever since we met in person last year to record today's episode. I saved its release to coincide with her new book that just released. It's called Read Me, a parental primer for the talk. If you're a parent, loved one, mentor, or teacher for kids, I can't recommend it enough. She breaks down things so well and argues that rather than asking, when should you talk to kids about sex, which is a question she hears all the time, parents instead should be asking, when should I talk to my kids about sexuality, which is a different thing. And guess what? That starts early and continues, and it is not nearly as daunting as you might think. Lene and I got pretty personal in our conversation, and from the moment she arrived to my home to record, I sensed something pretty kindred between us. You might notice that the interview doesn't have the studio sound you're used to around here, but I'm hoping that you'll feel like you're right in my kitchen with us, or maybe like listening in on a phone call. I wanted to ask you a question about our uh, exchanges leading up to the interview. You said something so interesting. What? So you know how my audience is a lot of, quote, good girls, right? Like people who grow up feeling very, uh, oh, I want to please people. and I don't want to like, you know, stir things up. And and I know you from your your work, very progressive and confident and all this stuff. And you said something about, you were concerned about, we were going to schedule a time where you would have had to like sleep at LAX and all this crazy stuff. And (laughs) And you were considering that because you said, you know, I have, I feel like I have to be a good girl yeah. and I totally get that. I wondered if you could speak to where that came from, that where did you, because obviously you've evolved in so many ways and I'm not saying that as a cut at all because no, I get no. it. <laughs> I didn't take it with one. <laughs> so where did that come from? Um, it was... I wanted you to like me. I mean, being completely honest, like I have never met you. I admire your work. Um, I felt like I was imposing to ask anything other than like the times that you offered. And so I was like, oh my goodness. Like I just, I, I have this really strange schedule with, you know, needing to be here for this conference. And then, you know, having just finished the last day of classes and I'm, I need to be back in a certain time for the final exam for the class. And I knew that like, if I pushed it and did it on that last day, like even if there was a remote chance of missing my flight, like I would not make it for the exam. And I was just like, Oh my God, how, how do I ask for what I want? Right? Like, Isn't that the question? Even as an yeah. educator, even as somebody who does this for a living and talks about this, I still find myself struggling because yeah. I have all that old programming, like, yeah, I want to be. I want to be liked. I want to, you know, not push buttons, not ask for what I want because 
it might be triggering for somebody else or whatever. <laughs> so, Which is so interesting. And thank you for sharing so openly and honestly, because I feel like it's easy to assume that people who, you know, cause I've looked up to you for a long time. I like you a ton already. And I also was like, Oh my gosh, you're sitting in my kitchen. You came to me. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I, I don't know what to say how you're being so generous and so gracious. And I, I too find myself doing that sometimes, like feeling like I need to apologize for myself when all I'm really sorry about is being reasonable and taking care of my needs. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm actually really glad that you were, I mean, I'm, pleased that you were willing to open your home and have me come out here. Um, yeah, because I mean, it ended up being a lot more convenient <laughs> because I was able to come up a day early. I finished the exam, um, flew up like leisurely, you know, I didn't have any pressing things going on with my time. So the travel was actually really nice. And so <laughs> it ended up working out so Yay. nicely. It worked out. And I love that you also <laughs> were willing to share even in the moment, I feel like I need to be a good person. You know, it's, I think that's, that's really important. So you had a religious upbringing. Yeah. You grew up Catholic. Yep. What did you learn about sex and sexuality early on? So, um, I guess I need to back up a little bit. It was like, I became Catholic, um, officially when I was a freshman in high school because my dad was previously married and he couldn't be part of the church while, you know, because he'd been divorced. And so we still went to church, but my parents didn't get communion because, you know, they technically couldn't because he was divorced. Right. Um, and so we didn't really, we were part of the church, but we weren't really in it. Wow. It was almost like, yeah, we weren't maybe welcome. I don't know, <laughs> but he insisted on continuing to go. And, so when I was a freshman in high school, I went through confession, communion, first, uh, no, first communion, ninth grader. I was like super tall compared to all second graders <laughs> going through first communion at the same time. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting because that was like the intro into being really Catholic and being on the outskirts <laughs> too, not fully accepted. Yeah. And that. The reason was because of a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So did you have any formal sex ed or did your family talk about sex? I don't have any memory of going through sex ed. In fact, I think my mom may have opted me out of high school sex ed. I remember sixth grade doing the puberty education where they split the kids into like girls went here, boys went here. I sat in and listened to talks about menstruation. I think I may have even got like a paper bag full of like some pads and stuff. Um, and I know for sure we watched that old Disney, the old Disney mas um, menstruation video. Have you seen that on YouTube? There's a Disney menstruation video? Yeah. It's like 1950s. It's like Minnie Mouse having a period? No, it's like illustrations of cartoon girls with like gigantic heads and tiny, tiny bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was, I remember seeing that video. I swear wow. it's like 1950 or 60, maybe. Oh my gosh. And they called it puberty class or something. It's it was not puberty, like yeah. sex ed. No, no. Cause clearly not anything to do with sex. It was just like, what's going to happen to your body. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So not getting any education in it. And, um, you know, I actually remember the first time I had an orgasm. 
And it was when I was like seven or eight years old. And I was, um, we were at a park in Minneapolis, actually. And I can't remember what the name of the park was. Um, and I had set up this little circuit for myself, you know, like run around the park, go up the slide, slide down the slide, swing, and then jump off the swing and like go, you know, run around the merry-go-round, do all these little tricks, right? Or do these little tasks. And the last thing was to climb up a pole and ring a bell. And so all that like tension and like excitement and energy of running around and doing all these things, I climbed up the pole and I had an orgasm while I was climbing up the pole. And I was like, oh my God, what just happened? You know? And I remember asking if we could go back to that park. And we couldn't. I don't know if like they got a hint or... I don't know what happened, but I really like that pole. I really like that. Um, yeah. You're like pole dancing without realizing it. <laughs> But yeah, oh, I think part of the part of the other part that um, or something else that spawned that maybe was a sense of urgency because it was time to leave, and I didn't want to finish. I didn't want to just leave without finishing that particular circuit. So it was like, come on, let's go. It's time to go. Get in the car. Running around. So sometimes pay, being a good girl does pay off. <laughs> in that, and that and that's just it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I imagine once you started having sex, then you went, whoa, wait a minute. That's what happened. Yeah, I was, um, I was kind of a late bloomer and didn't, um, I don't think I had another orgasm, honestly, until college. And, and even then I think, well, I didn't even, I didn't, I don't remember masturbating until I was 38. You know, that is so interesting because I didn't start masturbating until I was 30. And when, when I did, I thought, oh my gosh, there must be women all over the world who just don't know about this wonderful thing. Um, I mean, I knew that people <laughs> did. I knew people used vibrators and all that stuff. Yeah. But since starting Girl Boner, I've talked to so many people about their first experiences and only maybe two or three that I know started masturbating in their thirties, mm. a lot of times after they've already had sex with a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so interesting because a lot of people's formative experience with, with sex and sexual pleasure is self-stimulation. Yeah. 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 You know, I, um, I was just thinking about this today in talking about masturbation with kids, you don't have to encourage it, right? You just acknowledge it as something that's real and that happens. And you know, lots of little kids will say they'll take ownership over things like that's mine. That's mine. And I don't have any problem with my kids having ownership of their body. Like if that's one thing where they're like, you know, it's mine. Don't touch it. You know, like that is totally fine with me. Yeah. You're teaching little kids that, right? Yeah. So that was just something I was thinking about just this morning. Like that makes, that makes sense. Let kids have ownership on their own, over their own bodies. What a powerful and seemingly basic idea that gets lost and tangled up in all these other things where there's so much pressure on, especially girls, I think, to, to that their body is meant to, you have to hug your uncle and your auntie and oh, you have yeah. to, you know, and, and the whole idea of, oh, look out because boys will want sex from you. Oh. You know, there's all this kind of strange thing where you're like, wait, I thought this, like, we aren't born with that kind of self-shaming. 
So I got chills when you said, and my hair is still standing up my arm, on my arms, um, when you said boys only want one thing. You asked earlier if I had any specific like education around sex. That was hands down probably like the most repeated sentence in my house. Boys only want one thing. Really? Boys only want one thing. And it was a horrible thing for me to to hear over and over because I developed so many hangups about like, um, no one's going to want me for me, right? Like they're just going to want me for sex. Oh, like, and also <laughs> with the focus being there, yeah, it doesn't even occur to you perhaps to think about your needs and your wants and your pleasure when it's like, they're going to try to get it. Yeah. Oh. So I had a unique experience in 2012 at Burning Man. So everyone thinks Burning Man's all about sex and drugs and big party, right? Mm -hmm. um, I actually got to have the experience of like undoing that message, undoing completely the message that boys only want one thing because I met someone and we struck up this conversation and we ended up staying up all night talking about like anything and everything, like traveling around the playa, going to watch the sunrise, like there was no sex involved at all. Mm -hmm. And it was so deeply connected mm -hmm. and it was beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, and like, I am still friends with this person today. And it's like, it was such an amazing therapeutic experience. I bet. That's because incredible. we didn't yeah. have sex and he was interested in me. Which right? is like, so important to uh, learn. I remember when it was challenged for me because I think both of us growing up in the Midwest and having those sort of messages yeah. around uh, gender specifically and sex, mm -hmm. sometimes we can be well into adulthood when something crops up and you're like, whoa, yeah. there's that tape. <laughs> uh, so this is before I started Girl Boner and all of that, but I moved to Los Angeles and I was newly divorced. And so I hadn't even realized that in my head, I thought I had to be in a relationship to have sex. Like I knew casual sex existed. Yeah. It just didn't occur to me that like good girl me could do that. Yeah. And LA, there's quite the hookup culture. And I was in the acting business at the time. So I went to this big event. It was really elite and all these celebrities were there. And afterwards, my agent asked me, on the phone. He was like, so how was the rest of your night? And I was like, oh, it was great. I talked to so-and-so and then I went home and it was great. And he, he was like, well, you know, you could have had anyone you want, right? Like he had actually brought me to be around these celebrities and like, that's a perk. Like, hello. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and it, my first thought was, oh dude, don't talk to me about this because I don't want a relationship right now. Right. And then I was like, wait a minute. He said nothing about a relationship. Uh -huh. And so I sort of embraced the sexual freedom and to be single. And I was like, this is amazing. I can just mm -hmm. do this. But I had also absorbed that message. I assumed that every guy that I talked to and we had some sort of connection that they would want to have sex. And, and I actually had a, a guy, we went on a date and we had sex and then he showed up at my apartment the next day with flowers and a card and apologized to me, even though I was very much the initiator. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, I shouldn't have let that happen. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think you're an object. I, I'm only wow. looking for a relationship that really took me off guard. So really I 
I mean, I almost I arguably could have broken his consent if, I mean, he didn't say no, but it's like, I didn't, I just assumed, you know, yeah. and you know, he, he was enjoying the experience it seemed, <laughs> but he didn't want to have sex. And I was like, oh my gosh, you mean I have to actually have a conversation first? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I realized like, oh wow, okay. And this is before I had started masturbating. So it's like, if you have desire, then you better go find somebody. <laughs> oh yeah, because you need to meet that need with someone else. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Did you learn anything about masturbation? Um, I mean... I was, I think I was 38 when I started going back to school to study sex when I went to the Institute. And so that was really sort of like the moment where I had this permission. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually it's funny. I was, um, in the car driving home from school. My mom was watching my kids that day. And I mentioned that we had a conversation about masturbation and my mom, like, you know, very Catholic, was not pleased with, you know, <laughs> the idea of masturbation because it was, you know, only nasty, naughty, dirty girls do that. My two kids are strapped in their car seats in the back seat and they're hearing me and my mom sort of argue about masturbation. And so later at home, when I'm tucking them into bed, I said, I know you heard the conversation between grandma and I, they were three and five at the time. I know you heard the conversation and it's, um, I think it's okay for you to touch your yourselves. Um, but you will find out there's a lot of people who don't agree. They feel very strongly that people should not do that. I said, so just do it in private and make sure you don't do it around grandma. Like, <laughs> so, and you know, maybe they were a little older, maybe like four and six or something, but they were still super young. Yeah. And I've talked like that with them since they were little, like just mm. like letting them know what's up Yeah. because it doesn't make sense to to censor that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I felt like I needed to clarify the message that was, you know, they understand that people are arguing, right? You might not totally understand why, but, you know, so I tried to clarify for them that, like, it's your body. You should feel okay with yeah. your body. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what inspired you to study sex then after all of this? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so... Um, the first class I had in college, uh, about sexuality was like my, either my sophomore or junior year. And it was really my first exposure to sexuality because I was still a virgin at that point and, and, or hadn't yet had my sexual debut. I don't like to say virgin. But yeah. I yeah. I like that. that. My sexual debut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can talk about that. A, a That's another bit, thing, but... the whole, yeah. I mean, I remember re-virginizing. Did you have that term? <laughs> I, I mean, I know the term. But, um, so yeah, so my first class in college about sexuality, I like, I broke the curve mm. because I was so fascinated by the topic and I loved learning all this stuff. And it was my, yeah, it was my first exposure to it. So, um, and I, I really took to it like a fish to water. Like I was just... I just knew I wanted to learn everything I could know. And um, then I started answering questions for friends, right? Like people would ask me and I would know the answer and mm -hmm. that felt pretty good. But I didn't go back to grad school for it because at, at that time I was like, I don't really want to go back to grad school. So fast forward, I don't even know how many years it was. Like um, my then husband and I moved to Germany and I had now two kids 
and we would go to the public pool and the public pool little kids can be naked and nobody thinks twice nobody you know there's not some weirdo in the corner like masturbating to the little you know nothing because like it's that. nothing is weird like it's like exactly. if you don't make it a thing nobody cares yes like if, exactly. if we walk around topless here everyone stares if you go to south beach miami yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So my kids could be naked at the pool and, you know, no little old lady would come over and say, put some clothes on your kids. You know, like nobody would say anything. And the summer we moved back, I showed my still little cherub baby bodies how to change into a swimsuit while they were wrapped in a towel. I was like, okay, well, this is like, it's the same kids. It's just, we're in a different spot now. And so around that time, I decided, okay, I, I want to go back to school. Kids are now older. They're now in preschool or kindergarten. I want to do something for me. So I Googled graduate programs, human sexuality, and I found the Institute, which mm. at the time was in San Francisco. And that was what prompted me to start studying. And it was in the first trimester of school that I realized I want to focus on like parents, adults, and helping them talk to their yeah. kids. And how did diving deep and even having that first college experience influence your sense of sexuality? Um, how did it influence? Um, I think the most important part uh, was probably at the Institute because the studies at school at university were just like the typical talking about human sexuality, just a very basic survey course, anatomy, physiology, sociology, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, when I went back to, you know, quote unquote sex school, it was like, there was a lot of reading and a lot of theory and a lot of lecture. And people tend to think that it was like some experiential thing. Like going back to say, oh yeah, right. You could go back to sex school, study sex. Isn't that funny? It's like people <laughs> they think that if you're gonna do anything uh, sexuality related, that you must you're gonna be naked do it. and have yeah. sex. Yeah, totally not like that. Like it was just, I mean, it was kind of boring, but it was fascinating at the same time, right? A lot of lecture, like a lot of like watching videos and listening to people talk. But they were experts in all these different areas, right? And so um, just learning all of the different aspects of what people do sexually and how they think and feel about it. And some of it was learning about kink. And that's typically not stuff that you would learn in college. I certainly didn't learn mm -hmm. anything about, um, like Tantra it was more like a survey of like, kind of tell you what Tantra is, but you didn't get like a deep dive. Um, same thing with BDSM, like going in, I thought BDSM was like, just the movie, like the secretary, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Very, very limited. It was pre 50 shades of gray, but there's so much more to it. And there were, of course there were field trips. So we went to a dungeon while we were at school. And the thing that surprised me about that was that most of that was not actually having intercourse. Like it was all this power exchange and, you know, dominance and submission. And mm. it was fascinating. Um, so yeah, it's the whole spectrum of what people do sexually is just it's been fascinating to me um yeah. you know i had someone text me this morning through twitter and i don't usually answer these but this person said you know i feel i um i watch videos on youtube of 
Lou Ferrigno like getting painted for the Hulk and I wonder what the process of that would be like and I kind of get aroused by seeing this like is that normal and I was like well uh you know if you could oh and he also asked if he could like how could he do this himself and I was like well if you can find someone who will consensually body paint you like you know yeah you could you could actually do that you could actually have your body painted and then you know they may not want to apply the paint to your penis so just ask for a little extra and you can do it on your own yeah <laughs> and make sure you use body safe paint right like yeah yeah but just kind of giving him some information about how he could do this consensually and like it's there's nothing wrong with that yeah that whole idea of is this normal seems to be at the heart of almost every question I think that we hear from people because because there's a lack of education but then also sexuality is so diverse and so adventurous I mean your first orgasm you know (laughs) if an adult is is at a playground and that happens that's an exciting beautiful thing but if you have learned that oh orgasms can only happen in this scenario yeah you might go oh my gosh what's wrong with me instead of wow that was that was amazing. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So did you decide to go into the sex positive parenting specifically because you had children or was that already a passion for you? I, it was definitely influenced by it. Like having these two kids and not wanting them to go through the same sort of things that I did. Um, I knew that there was something better. There was a different, they didn't have to have the same hangups and fears and anxiety and shame and guilt and (laughs) the whole list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to have that. And I mean, it's kind of funny because I do see that now it's like, it's not part of their repertoire. They just, they just don't, the shame isn't, they don't seem to have shame. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. I, I try to imagine when shame is a part of your upbringing, it's, it's in your fabric. Yeah. And so you can move past it in a lot of ways and learn to thrive and all this stuff. But to try to imagine what your life would have been without it is a really perplexing thing. I mean, I'm kind of getting a glimpse of it with my, my own kids because, and now I'm, I'm drawing a blank on some of the stories we were just talking about um, before we started recording but I see that they don't have the same shame mm-hmm. around the topic. Oh, the one I the one I told you about my daughter being called a slut. So my oldest, I haven't really noticed that she's, you know, interested one way or the other or always. Like <laughs> she doesn't seem to have any um, interest in partnering up or anything. Right she's now. a teenager. She's sixteen, and so or turning sixteen this weekend. Um, so I, I have no idea where she, you know, which way she's leaning even. And so um, somebody texted the little sister and said, your sister's a slut. And I, the younger daughter came up to the older daughter. And she's like, so-and-so said this. And, and my oldest just sort of looked at her point blank with a like blank face and said, and, you know, what's, what's his point? Wow. And I was shocked. I was just, I, I knew that if that were me at 16 and somebody called me a slut, 
I would have been doing backflips and like everything. How do I prove this wrong? Like, and like, what did I do to deserve yeah, this? Exactly. Right? Like, somebody must have found out something. Exactly. They realized that I had a fantasy, or they saw me kiss someone, or you know, or or there's some <laughs> lie going around that that I did this horrible sexual thing, or it yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. All of it. Like, How did you feel knowing that your daughter was called a slut? Um. I admittedly, I thought like, what happened? Of course. You know, like, was there something that I didn't know or see or like, uh, yeah, what happened? Why, how could this be? But that was also right. My own prior programming, my own messaging around, like, it's not okay to be, uh, sexual. It's not okay to be enjoying sex. Sure. Right. But even then, like I have a close relationship with my daughter. I, think she would tell me you know so yeah. far she's told me a lot of things she's told me a lot of things that have surprised me mm. and she just hasn't you know gotten there I feel like I'd be concerned that somebody was slut shaming because of because so many of the reasons are completely obscure none of them are good right so like yeah. being a sexual person that's not a reason to shame anybody mm. but the kind of quote slut in yeah. my grade growing up I'm pretty sure it's because she had large boobs. I mean, it's just, it's so silly. Yeah. Yeah, totally is. Yeah. It's just not, it's not fair. <laughs> it's so not fair to the girls who, you know, may be interested in sex or may have a body that, uh, you know, is already developed. Yeah. And to make assumptions about somebody. Yeah. Not fair. Yeah. To make the assumption and then to to judge them for it too. It's like, there's all these layers of, of, of stuff. So obviously we're in a really interesting time culturally with the limited sex education that we have seems to be in danger and sex positive parenting, I think is such an important, I I feel like it's a solution and a preventative thing for so many things, not just like teen pregnancy and, so many things just, yeah. and to have that ownership of your body. Yeah. What is the most common myth about sex positive parenting that you encounter? Um, I think the, the myth that I hear the most is that if you teach your kids about sex, they're going to go out and do it. And I have two examples of teenage girls that at this point are really not exhibiting any behaviors even remotely interested in dating or hooking up or, and not to say that's like the ultimate, you know, that's where you should all be. Um, but my idea is I want my kids to be able to be conscious about what they're choosing, like who, with whom, um, when, you know, on their own time, what they're going to do, like all that, like I want kids to be able to decide these things for themselves without being coerced. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like being a sex positive parent, um, I mean, it has a lot of benefits. We were talking earlier about some of the, the funny things that happen in our house now. And so, um, she'll probably get pissed at me for <laughs> sharing this story, but my oldest has braces and she wasn't brushing her teeth very well. <laughs> It's not so, easy when you have all that braille in your mouth. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so she'd gotten one of those water picks and like that was supposed to help. And 
So I said, okay, you need to bring me your toothbrush. I want to watch you brush your teeth. And she was like, are you into that? (laughs) I was like, yes, it's toothbrush porn. Bring me your brush. I want to watch you brush your teeth. (laughs) And the youngest was in her room and she's down the hall and she peeks out and she says, ooh, kinky. (laughs) And my partner was in the office and he hears the whole thing going down and he says, that's some oral hygiene. (laughs) Okay, everyone's involved in this joke. I want you to have a sitcom called Mama Sutra where the the mom is based on you because those stories are so funny. And I feel like because people have these misperceptions about sex positive parenting, if they actually saw the manifestations, you know, because I know for me, I would not have gotten into relationships or sexual experiences that I maybe only wanted the orgasm from and maybe didn't realize that in the moment, or maybe I did, if I had known how to pleasure myself, I didn't know that I could, and I didn't even realize I had shame there. So just the permission that you gave your kids to say, you know, if that's something you want to do, then that's your decision and do it in private and not, not around grandma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could also give some, some guidance around hygiene, right? Like keep your wash your hands, keep your nails trimmed and clean, you know, like you can kind of go into a little more detail, but it's, to me, that's, um, that's part of Jack Annan's Plicit model. So permission, limited information, specific suggestions. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So permission, they got that when they were really little limited information. That's more like the anatomy, like how things work or whatever. And then specific suggestions would be like, you know, to avoid chafing, use some lube. So if they ask a question, you just get a specific and limited, like just a concise, because yeah. I imagine to you, you know so much, it would <laughs> yes. probably be easy to be like, ooh, let's have masturbation camp and I'm going to show you some videos. <laughs> and they're like, mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they wanted that information, I have it. But yeah, I yeah. do really like pare it down. I try yeah. to pare it down to just one sentence and I let them follow up with another follow-up question if they have it. And sometimes it fits what I think they're going to ask next. And then other times it's like completely out in left field. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. But I just let them drive it. And my older daughter asks more questions than the younger, um, at least to this point. And I mean, it kind of fits, right? Mm Because she's older. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the younger is just not so interested at this point. Or maybe she's, you know, I have a library at home. Maybe she's reading more and not really asking me questions, but... But she knows you're there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I feel like so many people who don't learn much or have the kind of sex education that we had worry a lot about pregnancy in every sexual encounter because it's... And STDs as well, but I think with a first experience... I know I thought for sure I was instantly pregnant. Like I just assumed I was like freaked out. I was like, we need to buy a pregnancy test, but let's pretend it's for a school project. We'll buy poster board. We'll buy glue <laughs> because of course Slugger. I'm not going to go to So did you, uh, have you found that to be the case or could, did you have your college class prior to having sex or was that after? So I had the college class before. Okay, so so you already had some knowledge going into yeah. Oh, interesting. But it okay. wasn't necessarily anything that was like practical advice. 
that I don't remember, mm-hmm. you know. Um, both of my kids have gone through OWL, the Our Whole Lives program. Yeah. And so, yeah, in addition to me, they've got that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's where they've gotten the specifics about, you know, some, like about ST, some STIs. And I mean, we've had sort of like the broad brush mm-hmm. stuff, the broad brush strokes on STIs and yeah. contraception and, you know, condoms and things like that. But they got more information in the class. And, um, I mean, I have all this stuff at home too, right? So I've yeah. got like a safer sex kit and I've got a, yeah. So I have yeah. a bunch of things at home as well. But um, where was I going with that? <laughs> um, That's interesting though. I, I like that you, they get to get the information not only from you, which I think it's really smart parenting. I'm not a parent, but I feel mm-hmm. like so many kids don't want to hear everything from their parents. Yeah. Well, actually that, that's sort of counterintuitive because I asked all my college students recently at the beginning of the semester, I was like, where did you hear about sex? And we listed like, uh, probably two, three dozen different sources. And then the question was following up to that, where did you want to learn about sex? And almost every student said their parents. Really? Yeah. So like you would, right? Like that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Because it's a trusted, or it could be a trusted source. It's just, it's often not the source because parents are nervous or they, Mm. I find that most parents didn't get a good education, so they don't know where to begin. And a lot of the education seems to be, to me, very reactive, right? Like, so here's this first instance. Now I know I have to talk about it, right? Or this has now happened. I have to react to it. And I feel like at least my approach is it's kind of like do it the other way. Like let's, let's start the conversations about dating or relationships or love. Like what does love look like? How do you know when you're in love? Stuff like that. So if we put always talking about sex as like the talk, we miss out on all these other conversations about like, let's talk about how relationships are depicted in movies. Let's talk about twilight. Let's talk about Edward showing up in her room while she's sleeping. Like if somebody did that in real life, that's creepy. Like <laughs> not safe. <laughs> yeah, there's so many examples of that where yeah. the the romantic quote unquote boyfriend yeah. or man is pursuing someone and is being a stalker. Yeah. And we're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, okay, Fifty Shades of Grey is mm-hmm. a good example of that, right? Yeah. So yeah, so taking those examples and talking about those as well. I mean, they're not. I mean, they kind of relate to sex eventually, but they're not sex, but they're, they're absolutely part of what you should be talking about that helps kids understand what a good relationship is. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so interesting because now that I think about it, kids ask their parents these questions so early Yeah. and their reaction yeah. is, is very often negative or because they didn't learn or they're like, Oh my God, don't ever do that. Don't ever touch that. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, if it was just normalized. I remember, you know, when I was growing up, my mom and like neighbor ladies or relatives, like sitting in the kitchen drinking coffee and talking. And I was like in a different room. And I remember very clearly talking about somebody who was pregnant and was, you know, like some young member of the family was pregnant and, or some relative, I don't even remember who it was, (laughs) but I remember hearing, 
if my kid, I don't even know if it was my mom, but it was, if I, my kid ever did that, I would disown them. Wow. So, you know, little kid in a different room hears that. And like, there's a very specific message that you receive that, okay, if you get yourself into that situation, you don't have that person to go to. And if it's me with my kids, I absolutely want to be there for them, whatever situation they're in and to help them figure out what they're going to do or, or whatever. Like I, I, I hear this all the time in my head too, with like all these different things that parents would say and yeah, they're, they're really off putting. (laughs) Yeah. And how deep they go and how (laughs) we can carry those because they stand out like certain things you hear. Mm -hmm you can look back on your life and go, wow, Mm -hmm. that really, that really stayed with me. I received a question from a listener who wanted to know how to help prepare her teenage daughter to be out at college. And she said that she and, and her husband have been very open, you know, with their daughter and she seems to have a good head on her shoulders. And they also have some anxiety around, mm-hmm. you know, we hear about the different statistics and sexual assaults and all these mm-hmm. different things. And do you have any insight as far as that specific age group? I guess it's different if they've talked about sex or not before. Yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, it. I guess I don't know enough about what they have had conversations about. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of it is more than just sex too. So I would think conversations about relationships, like how do you know when you're going to want to be in a relationship? Um, what does it mean to be in a relationship? How, how would you behave? Um, how would you treat each other? Um, uh, I would definitely talk about like self-pleasure and like getting to know yourself before you partner with someone else. Um, I mean, certainly if you've already had sex, just giving permission to be able to do that for yourself because, you know, I, I tell the students in my classes at the beginning of the semester, um, and it's sort of like this shock, a little bit shock value. Um, if you can't talk about sex, you probably shouldn't be having it. And even when I tell adults that they're like, like, no way. Like that makes no sense. But because people are so uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah. So if so many people have never talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, wait, but then I've been having sex. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so this past week, last week of classes, I asked, like, do you remember when I said that? And one student said, yeah, actually I've been reflecting on that a lot lately and just realizing that when I was 17 and I first started having sex, like I knew nothing, you know, even just going through this class. Now I know a a whole lot more and it, and what you said makes so much sense because there are so many layers Mm. to sexuality and about communicating and yeah, love relationships, dating, all of it, all of it, you know, asking for what you want. We talked about that at the very beginning, like how do you get what you want? How do you, know what you want right and it's just it's all like so many layers yeah do you remember your first conversation about sex no (laughs) you with whom (laughs) with anyone uh i mean 
I, I remember a conversation with my youngest daughter and she said, how do you have sex and not get pregnant? And she was like nine when she asked that question. And I was like, that's a pretty advanced question. It wasn't just how our baby's made. It's like, yeah, it was this how person knows. not get pregnant? Yeah. And, and I had this conversation with her about birth control. And I had to circle back with her because I realized I forgot masturbation. Mm. Right? Like, you can have sex and not get pregnant. Yeah. Through masturbation. Like, yeah. that's the easiest one. Very <laughs> effective birth control. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Right? Mm. Like, I immediately went to partnered. Right? I immediately went to partnered interactions. And this can just be you do it by yourself. Yeah. And it's, you know, STI free. You're not going to get pregnant. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. Uh, ideally, you take that knowledge and you can communicate it to a partner if you get to that point. Mm-hmm. But being able to like pleasure yourself is so important. Yeah, yeah. I like that. The first conversation. That's <laughs> like so interesting. The first conversation I had where I wasn't just told to like, you know, don't ask that or get these crazy like looks of like, oh my God, what do we do with this person? And these strange words coming out of her mouth was... Um, <laughs> was with my first boyfriend, like right as it was either like right when we very first start. And when I say sex, I'm, I'm saying intercourse because that's what we understood sex to be. It was like right in that moment. And he just paused and he said, you know, this means we're, we have to get married. Right. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. (laughs) And in my head, I'm like, it doesn't feel well, whatever. Yeah. Um, I got things to do, (laughs) but, but, uh, but then my next conversation was not until I was sitting in a college class and the teacher said, we're going to talk about sex. Yeah. What a concept (laughs) to talk about sex. That's just so, and I loved what you said about approaching for a teenager, preparing for college, all the different relationship behaviors and that it's not just sex because consent in particular, I feel like people think that's mostly about sex and talking about ways to practice it that aren't sexual so that, because it sounds like your daughters are like, (laughs) <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta be cool with me being my own person. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people were not raised with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have so many examples of conversations about consent in my household that like they've, they've gotten to this understanding now where I, I, I kind of wonder what it's going to be like for them in the world, dealing with people who haven't necessarily learned about consent because they're really clear mm. about it. Um, you know, how siblings do the teasing each other thing. I'll be in a different part of the house and I'll hear them like going at it, just like bickering or whatever. And eventually I'll hear one of them say, no consent. And it stops. Oh, wow. And that's it. And so I'm in the you know other part of the house. I'm like, okay. <laughs> they figured it out. Um, and another, I mean, this happens fairly regularly now. Um, if I'm just like, you know, head down, doing my thing, cooking dinner or whatever, um, we're pretty affectionate in the house. My my 16-year-old is taller than I am now. And she'll come up to me and she'll say, Mom, can I give you a hug and a kiss? And if I'm busy, I'm like, okay. And she'll look at me and she'll say, no, I want an enthusiastic yes. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yes. But I mean, that's, 
that's what I mean. Like, I don't know how it's going to be. I feel like I'm watching the future as you talk about this. That's so beautiful that they understand (laughs) that. I mean, it's easy. I don't, for them, I don't know if they know any other way. Yeah. Um, But for somebody going to college who might not have that kind of experience, like just knowing that they have the ability to say no, you know, and that it's not the end of the world. And yeah, I do know that certainly there's abuse that happens when somebody does say no and they find that, you know, but that, I think that's more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think that if you are able to say your no, um, like, how do I say this? Uh, with compassion, Mm, um, that it's going to be better received than, you know, if you're afraid of kind of pushing someone's button, right? Like, I feel like that instinct, our, our gut feelings, we need to really listen to because we can't reason with someone who's being unreasonable. And so however you want to say no is it's your choice. It's case by case. Uh, I took this really incredible series of self-defense classes from impact. Are you familiar? It's the kind of class where they have the trained professionals wearing that kind of huge gear where you can literally punch them with all of your might and kick them and all yeah. that stuff. And they feel nothing, which is, is like all- Maga? no, it, well, it's specifically self-defense. So okay. we do like role-playing and there's a big consent piece to it okay. There okay. as well. Uh, you actually learn, they teach you everything from consent role-playing where it's just, you know, unwanted touch and all the different kind of like strategies and all that kind of stuff, which really just the practicing of it. If you've never done it before and, and realizing, Oh, I can lie. (laughs) If you want to get someone away from you, you have full freedom to say whatever you need to say. If one strategy doesn't work, try something else, you know, but then we learned the most extreme kinds of stuff where, and they said to us, this is the least likely thing that will happen to you. Right. But knowing that you know what to do if three men are on top of you. I mean, because I, I took all their classes. One was a weapons class where somebody attacks you with a, with a weapon. Oh, wow. And, I mean, pick you up. In the, like, I have videos on my Instagram from the graduation wow. where they lift me up. I'm, like, flying through the air. Like, you learn how to use your body. Yeah. And that even the messages that we've received about our own strength. Yeah. That somehow, if you are female, if you are yeah. a smaller person, if you're an older person, you you can't really take yeah. care of yourself. Like, obviously, a big person can get... No, you absolutely have the skills. Yeah. But, like, the confidence that you get from, from practicing things and learning to listen to your, mm-hmm. your gut. Yeah. Um, and there's this great book called The Gift of Fear that I yes. always recommend everyone read. Yes. That's how I learned about impact. Those are the classes. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're familiar with that book. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah. The whole section on no is... Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Being able to say no and be really clear mm-hmm. so that somebody, like, there's no, you know, there's no maybe. Totally. Right? It's yeah. No. And no apology. <laughs> no apology. That's one thing that so many people were saying, our instructors were saying while we do these exercises, even someone could be attacking you and you are trying to protect yourself and you hit someone and you apologize to them because it's so programmed into you, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, it's just so powerful to, to know that you can, can do that, can stand your ground. And I had both of my girls go through two separate 
Krav Maga weekend trainings, weekend intensives. Mm. And so now they know how, I mean, in the worst case scenario, they can, you know, break a kneecap or like seriously do permanent damage to somebody's knee, rip an ear off if they have to. Like it doesn't take that much like pounds per or whatever the pressure, like you could actually do it if you had to. I mean, like if you're in that situation, you can take care of yourself. And now, I mean, walking around with them at night, they, they have confidence and they walk different and they, um, I feel like I have these like teenage mutant ninja <laughs> bodyguards. Like, I kind of want them to be my bodyguards. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So it's probably very similar to impact. Yeah. There was a study done and I don't recall the specifics, but essentially it showed that taking a self-defense class significantly lowers your chance of being attacked because you carry yourself differently. There's all these things. And again, it's never the person's fault. If you're victimized and somebody attacks you, never, ever, no matter what. Um, But knowing that you can, that you have those abilities and you have these, these tools and you're not just kind of going around with these things that you've heard kind of hearsay, like, oh, I'll just carry my keys between my fingers or I'll carry mace. Those really are not going to save your life. Yeah. Unless you practice a whole lot of times and someone trains you how to really hurt someone with that how thing, it, yeah. um, it's probably not going to do very much. Like you might make someone go ouch and hit you harder, yeah. but to actually know that your body is actually the most powerful thing. And I feel like that can carry into so many parts of our, our lives. I learned um, Taekwondo after like starting in second grade because one day when I was walking home from school with a friend, some guys in a... Ford Pinto stopped and like told us to like asked us to get in the car and I can't remember if it was candy or a puppy that they were using as the lure and you know fortunately we ran the other way but we went and told our parents and so then I went to taekwondo like all that but taekwondo is a tea party compared to Krav Maga and Impact like it's, yeah it's serious Oh, wow. oh my god that is just it's so good that you didn't get into the vehicle because as Gavin DeBecker teaches Never go to the second location, no matter what. Yeah. It's yeah. better if they have a gun, still do not get into their car. Yeah. There's there's a way better chance you're going to survive if you bolt away and they're trying to aim and all that stuff. Or maybe you get shot in the shoulder or something versus they take you somewhere and something worse happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And again, these are the exceptions. Most people are good. Most yeah. people are kind. Most guys do not want to attack you. Right. More often, it's the confusion about they didn't learn about consent or they've been taught things like I'm supposed to be aggressive. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I read this book on dating or whatever, like that that they studied this thing because they felt socially awkward and they got bad advice. Like I need to cut a woman down and then she'll, then she'll like me. Um, so, and how, how do you, uh, how do you prepare for somebody who doesn't know this stuff? Like, what do you tell your daughters about, you know, you guys know consent, but not, not everyone in the world does. I mean, I'm guessing my kids will probably end up teaching yeah. because that's, it's been so natural in our house to just kind of process through this stuff. So I would imagine they probably start asking questions like, yeah. so why do you want that? Or what, um, what makes you, cause it's all about noticing, right? Yeah. If you can actually get to a point where you notice that you're doing a thing or mm-hmm. you're not doing a thing. Mm-hmm then you can start to like recognize if you want to change that behavior. Yeah, it's true. And leading by example is so powerful. I was on this panel at this film festival, Artemis Film Festival, and 
one of the panelists is an executive at Fox and she said that she goes into so many rooms where it's all guys and she did this awesome thing that I could just feel everyone in the room going, oh, because she said that in her industry, so she's going to these kind of corporate settings and it's entertainment, but it's corporate. So everyone's like tie, suit, all this stuff. And she said people just assume that the woman is going to go around and hug everyone. Uh And she said she that's not what she wanted to do. Right. Right. So she said she learned that she just walks in and she just shoots her hand out like firms, just shoots her arm out. And I was like, that is such a simple, if I saw a woman doing that and then I walked into that boardroom, I would do the same exact thing because you are taking a stand and you were like, this is what I do. Yeah. And you can, you can, you can grab it if you want, (laughs) you know, because then nobody expects it. And and they, because if you're concerned about the pleasing, right? If you want them to like you when you're going into a scenario where it's professional or you really want to make a a positive professional, you know, impression, confidence is such a cool thing to be able to show. Right on. And I, you know, I, um, I feel like when I was growing up, I didn't have any of it. Like I was mousy, insecure, small, Um, I really, I I didn't, I I was just, I don't know. I don't feel like I had any confidence to, to, you know, at all. (laughs) So anyway, my kids though are, are very different. And my oldest, um, I don't, I don't know why she's like this, but she's, she shoots people down with her confidence, like, or not like in a bad way. But like, she's just, she has so much of it that it's overflowing and people like, you can't help but notice that she's got it. Right. And the youngest is also very confident, but more in this like quiet, self-assured way. Mm. And when I see that, I just, I think it's beautiful. Cause like I said, me, just not anything like that. That must be such an incredible experience to see and to know that you don't, have to try to be confident in a particular way you get to be yourself mm-hmm. you know yeah. do you remember a time because I feel like we have so much confidence and we're really tiny kids yeah when did the kind of shyness or the <sighs> mousiness start? so I used to be the really outgoing kid who would introduce myself to everyone and like make friends at Target in the toy aisle Right, like because back then you could go to the toy aisle without your parents, right? <laughs> just like eons ago. Yeah. But I could go and like I'd just talk to other kids, and we would be friends immediately, right? Um, I think. I mean, if I had to venture a guess, because like I said, I can't remember the first conversations around sexuality, but I would probably I would tie those two together. Like yeah. at some point when your body's starting to change. Maybe my body was changing and my mom then, you know, needed to make sure that I knew that, you know, men only wanted one thing, you know, maybe that's where that started. And I just became like, really, yeah, like not introverted, but just very closed off. There's a self-consciousness that comes, I think with that huge, big time for me too. Yeah. Same thing. Like I was super, super outgoing. And then there's this weird kind of glue that seeps in and you start feeling so wonky. And in the, in the moment, many moments, I, I couldn't like pinpoint one particular 
thing. But it doesn't surprise me that adolescent girls in particular and LGBTQ individuals as well, anybody who's who's had some sort of uh, shaming around their sexuality yeah. are at much higher risk for eating disorders and depression yeah. and anxiety at like 12. Yeah. You know, I just don't think that they're separable. I feel like, yeah. You might be like helping me figure something out because I think that's also one of the things that has helped my kids with their confidence is like validating all the stuff they were going through in puberty like letting them know that these were things that were going to happen so that they felt like okay with these growing bodies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I did with them uh, when they turned 10, there's a clothing optional spa in San Francisco called Kabuki. And you can actually go, it's their clothing optional gender specific days. So all the women go one day and all the men go another day. Um, And I would take my kids starting at 10 to the spa and like going when I the first time I went to the spa by myself I was really insecure it was like also kind of tied in with the time I was going back to study sex went there by myself and I was doing the like not wanting to make eye contact with anybody thing Mm -hmm. because you know it's a bunch of naked people naked women around me and I don't want to look I don't want to peek you know but it was really this like an awesome sense of self-awareness and self-appreciation. Like after five, 10 minutes, I felt more comfortable. And then like, finally I could kind of like relax and look around and I got to see beauty in all of it. Right. Different size, different shape, different, you know, amount of fat tattoos, no tattoos, old, young, like nobody Photoshopped Mm. all just like real people. And so that was my experience going through it. And so I took my 10 year olds, or the one they were 10, and they got it from that age. And being able to have that normalized human female. You know? I never saw anybody naked. I mean, I when you're really little and you're in the tub with a sibling, yeah. but I never saw anyone. Yeah. Nobody. Like it, it's it's so interesting because again, it's a it's an unspoken message yeah. that there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. With, with you, body. with the body, yeah. with having a body and, and then having all that shame around your genitalia or anything related to your sexuality. And then that's lumped into sex ed and you learn all these damaging, yeah. scary things. It's yeah. just, yeah, man. Yeah. That I, Charlotte told me recently that that was something that was really, uh, really empowering for her. Like she got a lot out of that. That's one of those formative things I bet she'll look back on for yeah. a long time. Could you just give us a few kind of kind of bullet pointy quick tips on on sex positive parenting for anybody who's pretty new to this? Ooh, good question. Um, let's see. Some quick tips. Um, don't be afraid to admit when you don't know something. Um, you can even tell that story. You know, kids like to hear stories. You can tell them your story. Um, what else? Uh, I think consent is another topic that can be, it can be actually a really easy thing and incorporated into the family. I think I've written blogs about like the tickling game. So if you want to look for a blog on that, um, you can incorporate consent conversations in really easily. And then it just, it followed, it just snowballs. Yeah. Um, throughout their life. Yeah. 
other sex positive parenting things. Um, I mean, like, I guess, I, I mean, I have so many little stories of what it would look like in the future if you've been doing this, but I guess I think of like, what else I, what else have I done? <laughs> Are you a big fan of using anatomical terms for genitals, saying vulva, yeah. saying clitoris, penis, testicles, all that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you can use the slang too, but acknowledge that that's what you're doing. You know, I think I told my kids early on, you know, the body parts ear is no different than vulva. You know, it's, it's the name for that part. Um, using a different name might mean you're just nervous about saying the real thing, but it's important to actually say the real term yeah. because if there is, heaven forbid, there is any sort of abuse, they can actually name the part that's been touched versus saying just down there. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of parts down there. That can mean anything. It can mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Um, pleasure is super important. Um, we've talked a lot about being, giving permission to touch yourself and kids don't actually know anything about orgasm. Um, I mean, they kind of figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't really need to even like give them instructions. They figure it out. Uh, but giving them permission to do that is, is healthy. Um, you know, actually, I'm, I'm realizing I could be talking about the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality here because those are those are some quick tips. Do you want to touch on them? Sure. Um, so the first one is communication, and that would be like talking about your needs, wants, and desires, um, communicating and and making sure that it's okay to talk about feelings and emotions. Um, also, acknowledging verbal and nonverbal communication. Like if somebody shuts down tuning into that and saying like, what's going on for you? I love those so much. Right? What a missing thing to have freedom for our feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think especially because for boys yeah, being absolutely. taught that you have to be, Tough. you can't cry. You have to be, be insensitive essentially, instead of going, that's a beautiful part of you and a yeah. strength. That's so important. Yeah. Really good documentary is the representation projects. Um, the masculine. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, you have to see that. You have to see it. Is it on Netflix? Yep, it's on Netflix. Okay. Um, and Apple. Awesome. Um, the second one is consent. And we've talked a little bit about consent, but it's also about boundaries. You know, setting up a boundary, knowing what your boundaries are. You might not actually know. And figuring that out is really important too. Um, respect. Respect has a lot of layers, but part of it is like respect for yourself, respect for others, like being okay with nudity, understanding that the body is like, your body is healthy. It's like, mm -hmm. it's who you are. Um, pleasure, um, understanding that it's more than sexual pleasure. Hugs, self-care, self-love, like all that stuff. And fantasy, the last block, pleasure and fantasy tend to freak parents out a little bit because it's like those things are, you don't really want to talk about kids with that. But fantasy, um, at the very least, making sure kids know that what's out there in the real world is not real sex. It's someone's depiction, or most often it's someone's depiction of, of what they think or what they fantasize about. Um, and it's not real. Like that's important to acknowledge because even if you're not talking to them and they're finding stuff on you porn or YouTube or whatever, yeah, that's, you know, it's not real. Yeah. Not so <laughs> the difference between, and that's again, not saying don't watch porn, 
porn is bad or please watch porn. It's more, you might see these things and they are fantasies and also it's okay to have fantasies. Yeah. I mean, just that is, uh, I guess a lot of parents are concerned that if they encourage somehow fantasies that that leads also to kind of lots of sex and lots of unprotected sex somehow. But in fact, embracing your fantasies can be part of that. It's boundaries for yourself. Like I can have this whole sexual world that's all my own. Well, and sometimes fantasies just aren't practical, right? So, um, uh, formicophilia is the desire to have insects crawl on your body and nibble at your genitals. Like, how are you ever going to direct the bugs to, to do exactly what you want them to, right? And even acting that sort of fantasy out, you're going to have an infestation. Like, how do you control where they go? Yeah. So, like, sometimes fantasy doesn't really, it's not practical. Right, right. But, um, like, okay. to act on it. But you could think about it. Yeah, exactly. Or it's okay. virtual reality or something. <laughs> That would be that would be a way that it could possibly be done. Yeah, because like, then you could control it, right? Yeah. But um, uh, oh, and also I talk about sexual debut. We mentioned virginity at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and I, even though I still say it because of my own programming, I use the term or I try to use the term sexual debut more because you know if someone's been abused, they never got to choose when they had their when they lost their virginity, right? So it's more empowering to give them the ability to select, you know, what is their definition of, you know, their sexual debut. It could have been their first kiss. could have been first orgasm with a partner, you know, whatever they want to. Or themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And virginity also excludes LGBTQ kids, right? Because if you're only defining virginity or the loss of virginity as what penises and vaginas do, like when does a lesbian you know, quote unquote, lose their virginity, right? Right. Cause it's a social construct. Right. So it's not like this medical definition of it, but we have this idea yeah. that it's P and V. If, yeah. if a penis goes into a vagina, then you have lost your virginity, which yeah. is also so negative yeah. that, that your virginity is something to behold. And yeah. not to say that you should, you know, have it as quickly as possible or whatever, but just that it is, is this thing that again, it's a currency. Mm-hmm. It's like, I will, I will have it taken or I will give it. Mm-hmm. But what if it's just, what if it's not a thing? Yeah. 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 Just to define it the way you want. Yeah. It's so interesting how virginity is so, it's like up on this pedestal. Mm. Yeah. But it's not, it's it so doesn't. currency. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Somebody has value. Somebody doesn't. Of course, that's not true at all. Lene wants every child to know that they have value and to feel comfortable with their bodies and sexuality. That's one reason she wrote her book. Find a link to read me a parental primer for the talk by swiping or double tapping in your podcast app or head to themamasutra.net to learn more. That's Kama Sutra, but with an M at the beginning, themamasutra.net. For occasional Girl Boner Extras, sign up for email updates at augustmclaughlin.com and stay tuned here for a special bonus episode featuring thoughts from Lene and Dr. Megan related to today's themes. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. 
Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. <laughs>